The kingdom of heaven is a big deal in the Gospel of Matthew. The term is mentioned 31 times in this Gospel, and it's the only place in both the Old and New Testament where this particular term, where kingdom of heaven, is used. Now in Matthew, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to, among other things, a tiny mustard seed that grows into the greatest tree, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyards, a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son, 10 sleepy bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom, yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened, treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid, a merchant in search of fine pearls, a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind, and, and as we heard today, someone who sowed good seed in the field only to see it crowded by weeds. The kingdom of heaven is a trap for the rich and a good place for innocent children in Matthew. It's a place where even the least far exceed the great John the Baptist. It's a bane to Pharisees and to scribes. The kingdom is a big deal, but if you're like me, it's a little bit confusing. I mean, individually, I can sort of make sense of the analogies. Mustard seeds do grow into massive bushes where birds can rest like a kingdom might grow. God's grace extends to all from the workers who started in the morning to those who arrived just before the end of day. And I understand how yeast works. Treasures and pearls, I get that. And last week's sower of seeds, scattering seeds shamelessly on good soil and rocks, I can see how God might be at work in that. You see, individually, I can just about get my head around them. But when I take it as a whole, just what is the kingdom of heaven, I'm at a loss. If the kingdom of heaven is the place where God reigns, which we're taught to believe, then isn't it already perfect? Pearly gates and glistening streets and all? And if so, why does Jesus in Matthew keep hammering on about the coming kingdom of heaven in, in ways that suggest that there's work to be done to get to the kingdom ready? Seeds got to grow. Weeds got to get pulled, or maybe not. Sheep and goats got to be separated. Is the kingdom of heaven a work in progress for Matthew? Is the kingdom of heaven still a work in pro of progress for us? Now, in his new book, The New Testament and Its World, Bible scholar N.T. Wright suggests there's definitely work to be done. But it's not about making the kingdom ready for us. It's about making us ready for the kingdom. And a key to decoding this slightly unfamiliar view of the kingdom of heaven and the whole focus of his book is to live into the cosmic and the, and the worldview of the first century Jew. Those were the listeners of Matthew. They were his community. Now, our familiar salvation narrative is that we are spending this life getting ready to die and go to heaven. You know, legions of saved souls ascending when they die. But according to N.T. Wright, that would make no sense to Jesus' listeners or to Matthew's listeners either. He claims that, quote, the whole biblical narrative is about God coming to dwell with us. And the question of sin and salvation is, how can God come and dwell with us granted who we are. I mean, is this the kind of place worthy of God? 
Are we ready for God's presence among us? I think we all, all agree that there's work to be done. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is repeatedly announcing that it's time for God to become king. Now, we today struggle with this, I think, on two levels. First, isn't God already king? And Wright says, no, that, quote, this world has been invaded and taken over by hostile forces, whether we call them Satan or the devil or whatever, end quote. And second, if Americans have any idea of a kingdom, it is of the fully realized British monarchy kind of kingdom, with enemies vanquished and the king sitting blissfully atop his or her throne. Now, this started with the Roman Emperor Constantine and continued through the Middle Ages. How could an emperor or king serve another kingdom that wasn't already more majestic, more glorious than his own? Now, in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the decisive victory against evil has already been won. But that victory has to be implemented. And that's where we come in. We are to be about beating back the very real forces of evil in our world. We're purifying God's creation so it becomes a suitable place for God to dwell among us. And our tradition within the Episcopal Church has, has a bad habit of underplaying evil. We get uncomfortable around it. And especially in the person of something like the Satan or the devil. But today's gospel parable with the grain and the weeds makes it hard to avoid going there. Jesus makes clear who are the good seeds, and the bad seeds are sown by the devil. And we're not tempted to pull the weeds like the slaves. We leave the judgment to God. In the meantime, we focus on our own work, which raises the question, just what is our work exactly? If we can't sit in quiet judgment of our neighbor, then how exactly does a good seed pass his or her time? Now, as most of you know or remember, a wonderful feature of the nave of our church is the beautiful stained glass windows that are all around. It's been a while since most of you saw them, but they continue to illuminate and cast multicolored shadows across the room throughout the day. A majority of the windows are covered with Matthew's Beatitudes, window after window outlining the many blesseds shared by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And N.T. Wright asserts that the blesseds in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount are the marching orders for the kingdom people. They are the way victory is won, that evil is defeated. He says this is how the victory is won, not by God sending in the tanks, but by God sending the meek, the merciful, the hungry for justice people, the peacemakers, and so on. And I think it's fitting that our windows are covered with these marching orders, these calls to action, because at our best, St. Peter's are a Sermon on the Mount kind of people. We excel when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we are full of mercy, when we seek peace, when we comfort those who are mourning. We do these things intuitively, without pause, without thinking. They're a part of who we are. The battle over evil was won some 2,000 years ago, but we're still implementing the kingdom. We're still getting the place ready for God. 
for the heaven to descend and unite to the earth. We help clear the way with weapons of mercy and righteousness and peace. Now, I know it sounds counterintuitive. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if God used all of God's power to just make it happen? But then we wouldn't be ready, would we? This project isn't about God. It's about us. Our work is clear. Continue to battle against the powers of evil that seek to overturn their defeat. Continue to bring light into the world, to bring justice, mercy, peace, and righteousness, to make the way clear for the kingdom of God here on earth. As Paul tells us, creation waits with eager longing for the children of God. Creation's waiting for us. Let's do our part. Amen.